0: THE HOLY GOSPEL OF OUR LORD JESUS CHRIST ACCORDING TO JOHN. GLORY Glory TO YOU, LORD CHRIST. AT THE LAST SUPPER, WHEN JUDAS HAD GONE OUT, JESUS SAID, NOW THE SON OF MAN HAS BEEN GLORIFIED, AND GOD HAS BEEN GLORIFIED IN HIM. IF GOD HAS BEEN GLORIFIED IN HIM, GOD WILL ALSO GLORIFY HIM IN HIMSELF AND WILL GLORIFY HIM AT ONCE. LITTLE CHILDREN, I AM WITH YOU ONLY A LITTLE LONGER, FOR YOU WILL LOOK FOR ME,
1: In the name of the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Mother of us all, amen. Amen. Please be seated. In Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of the Italian cohort, who, though he was a soldier, was a devout man who honored God with all his household, gave alms, and prayed frequently to God. It so happens that at three o'clock in the afternoon, very precise, Cornelius is struck by a vision. An angel of the Lord appears to him and he tells him that he is to send an emissary to Joppa, invite a certain man named Simon called Peter to Caesarea. Immediately, Cornelius gathers three men and sends them towards Joppa, where Peter, around noon the following day, goes up to the roof to pray. And Peter, too, is seized by a vision, symbols flying before his eyes, animals that he has not been permitted to eat offered to him as food. God boldly declares to Peter, what God has made clean, you, shall not call profane." As Peter ponders this message, suddenly the men from Cornelius appear at the house and explain their strange purpose. Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear what you have to say. So Peter gets up He travels with these men and meets Cornelius. There is some confusion about what to do because if he stays in Cornelius' house, it is implied that he must eat Cornelius' food, which would not be acceptable under Peter's dietary code. But more than just that, going to be in the house of a Roman centurion implies a certain kind of collusion with the enemy and opens up all kinds of doors to question Peter's loyalty to his own people. Cornelius is eager to hear what Peter has to say, why God has called Peter there, and what could have been so important that God would literally send an angel to insist upon it. Peter shares with him the message of Jesus. That Jesus healed all who were oppressed, was raised from the dead, and now offers forgiveness of sins to all who follow the way. And in that moment the Holy Spirit falls upon all of these Romans who were hearing Peter's words. All of the believers who had come with Peter are astounded because the Holy Spirit has been poured out on them too. Peter has been baptized in that moment and he stays with Cornelius for several days. This is where the passage that we read from Acts picks up. After others hear about what Peter has been doing, they question his loyalty. A Roman soldier, really? Are you sure that God told you to do that? Or did you just want to associate with wealth and power? Are we really going to preach about Jesus's power to forgive to the very people who killed him? You ran away when he died, didn't you? You don't remember seeing the soldiers nail him on the cross, do you? Sometimes interpreters of this story emphasize how God proclaims forgiveness even to non-Jewish people, the Gentiles, as it shows up in the text, or the uncircumcised. Sometimes I think we spend too much time on that particular aspect of the text, failing to read between the lines, failing to read the story beforehand. In order to really understand why people are annoyed with Peter, we need to read the chapter before this. We need to know that it was a centurion that prompted this debate. Not only a Gentile or an uncircumcised person but the emblem of the oppressor, a soldier of the empire who ordered Jesus's death. The message here is clear, that the way is available even to those most entangled in the empire. This is the context in which we read Jesus's final commandment to his disciples this Sunday. When Jesus says, The world will know you for your love for one another. The one another here is meant to be radically expansive. The people that God will entrust to our care will surprise us again and again. One another does not mean what it used to mean. This final commandment is the root of everything that we do here. As followers of Jesus, it is our sole purpose to have love for one another. And we do not just do this, we not just summon up all that love from within ourselves. This is not a bootstrap pulling all up to me love. We stand in the same love that Jesus has for us. We stand in a river of love that flows through Jesus and God and the disciples and us. We are like kayakers, or canoe teams, surrounded by a love so great that we are carried by its current. That river pushes us, like it pushes Peter in Acts, to see one another as ever more expansive. Peter is pushed by God to recognize that a Roman centurion is to be welcomed into the way to be baptized into new kinship in Christ. And so I wonder who God might be pushing us to recognize as our kin today. What barriers might God be asking us to cross in order to love one another? If we look around at the world we live in, in 2022, we know how many barriers there are to recognizing our neighbors as our kin. We are politically divided, segregated in our daily lives by race, age, class, education, so much more. Will we be known as Christians for crossing those borders, evermore increasing our understanding of one another? Will we be known for our love when we initiate conversations across the political divide as we do through braver angels? Will we be known for our love at Loaves and Fishes, through the Blue House, when we offer an anxious friend a prayer practice? Will we be known for our love when we truly stop and listen to someone who needs to be heard? How do you wish to be known for your love? Maybe, and hopefully you both know and trust me well enough at this point that you can let me go in an unconventional direction. What if, in 2022, part of God's unique call to us in these generations is to cross the kinship boundary between human and non-human? If we look at our psalm today, the one that we chanted moments ago, the mountains and the hills, the deep, and the stars and the cedars, wild beasts and domestic animals, they praise God just as the humans do. The generations alive today stand in the face of a global climate crisis, and we all know it. Is it possible that the vision delivered to us is a vision of the whole creation as one community, praising God? Might we, as Christians, recognized for our love because of our commitment to that vision. What would it look like if the world saw Christians as champions of a new theology of interdependence, representatives of a vision cast by this psalm? What if we were known for our love by casting God's vision of a cosmos in concert that inspires the planting of forests, the care of the seas, the pursuit of new scientific knowledge that can transform our relationships with these ecosystems. What if? As we begin our season of outdoor worship here in this public place, we've come to call the Oak Cathedral, as we pray with spiritual practices that are inspired by air and fire, earth and water, can we be pushed as Peter is pushed to redefine our understanding of kinship. Can we be known in this world for a love that crosses the dividing wall, so that all things are made new? Amen.